Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio, Brian Moritz, and the last thing that you'll hear of the month of March on this podcast as uh, it's the last week of the month, Brian, and and, uh, I don't know how I feel about that, quite frankly. It's always my favorite month of the year, Mm -hmm. and it's almost gone now. It is, and, you know, that means, I mean, the good news is that does mean spring is starting, but it means an end to March Madness, and it means an end to the the, the best month of the year for college basketball. Um, It means the impending end of the semester, which means our lives are about to get insanely busy um, with grading and and prep, and uh, this is a big, a... Uh, it's a big conference week. We have IAX this week that you're going to out in Arizona. I will not be attending, but I have a a nice data set I'm pouring over in SPSS to uh, for an AEJMC paper that has a deadline this weekend. So good time. You make our you make our lives sound so sexy. <laughs> well, it, it was great of IAX to pick a. Uh, it is great that it's out in Phoenix, but very fun and had to have been fun traveling travel planning to pick it Final Four weekend. Yeah, I mean. It's it works out really well because you know we I think we get to go to a practice. Oh, nice for for the final four, and I, I know some people are, are planning on trying to get tickets to the games. I looked into it, but then I saw who was playing. Uh, I'm actually if it, 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 it's an interesting final four this year. I just don't know if I want to spend you know like a hundred and forty dollars combined for two tickets to to teams that i don't have that much of a rooting interest in right if you were around on monday and i know you're not i've been told and you may be able to confirm this that the final game like the championship game and the monday night game is actually the easiest and cheapest game to get into because you have like everybody let's say oregon loses all the oregon fans want to bolt out of town so they'll sell you their tickets at face value or below just just to get rid of them but yeah um but at least you get Arizona, and which is going to be a little nicer and warmer, I assume, than Indiana and or upstate New York. So that's good. Oh, I'm I'm not complaining. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, we get we get get nice warmer, drier weather. Mm-hmm. You get basketball. You don't have Kentucky fans there, true, which I think is an underrated plus. Because <laughs> uh, those I, those people travel, I give oh. them credit. But but man, that's that's a rough crowd to have to deal with, particularly if you're an Indiana person. Right. And uh, speaking of Indiana, I know this isn't an official topic because you're sick of talking about it, but congratulations to you and fellow Hoosiers on a good hire. Uh, Thank you for a head coach. It seems universally acclaimed. It seems like a really really smart move, and everyone seems happy, which is good. Yeah, I'm actually a little concerned now because <laughs> you know I've been I've been blasting the national media for the last week, and and they all came out and loved the hire. So <laughs> now now I'm worried we did something wrong. Now you uh, this is how you talk yourself into a slate take, by the way, or something like that. Right? You get yeah. so worried that that the conven- that you're following the conventional wisdom that you go the other way. It's uh yeah it's uh, no you know and I love the hire. Uh, I've gotten a chance to do a lot of homework on Archie Miller. Uh, seems like seems like a guy who really has uh, has it together. Uh, bright young coach. He's he's actually only about a year older than me, so that's cool. It's nice to finally have somebody of my generation in charge of something important. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I look. I think good times ahead. I'm, I I after going, they had a public like open to the public press conference, which I want to ask you about. That's actually our first question today. Okay. Um, they had a, an open to the public press conference today, and after listening to him talk, I am actually very upset 
that basketball doesn't start till October. I really wish that it would start tomorrow wow. because I want to. I want to see this guy coach. I'm I'm, I'm fired up again, Brian. Yeah. I haven't been this way for a couple of years now. I, I know it's been a while. I, you know, maybe since we first met that you've been this kind of fired up about IU basketball. That's good. Um, so he won the press conference, which is very good. Um, always like to see that see that happen. So so the open to the public press conference. That sounds interesting. So how did that work? Like, so basically, they had on the assembly hall floor, at one end of the floor, they had a, a podium and a dais, and then they had probably six or seven rows of chairs in a kind of a, a semi-circle pattern around the podium in front of it, uh, and that was where the media sat, and then there was a there was a, a platform upon which all the cameras were sitting, and then... Um, in the in like the sides behind there was a line basically and then like on the other side of the line on the like the if all that was happening on the north end of the arena on the south end of the arena you had fans sitting in the stands and also in the bleachers at the end and i'd say there were probably about 1500 fans there wow uh which is pretty good for three o'clock on a monday afternoon um there had been some complaints in the media that they were going to uh, have it open to the public because uh, media members, uh, uh, the, at least the ones that were complaining, don't like that. Apparently, they they uh, one uh, one who shall not be named on the podcast was complaining about how he got booed when he asked <laughs> Kelvin Sampson about sanctions. Okay, uh, back in back because there was a public press conference for that one back in two thousand and six. Um, so there was a little bit of, uh, of, of media distaste for the public press conference thing, but I didn't think it was obtrusive at all. I mean, there was, there wasn't much like, there wasn't like spontaneous applause or anything during it. And media were able to ask questions pretty much unfettered. So, you know, I mean, it's not as bad as a, a an SI for kids reporter asking a question in a press conference, but, uh, you know, I guess it's close, right? Right. You know, when you get two people complaining about it afterwards and it becomes a thing for a day, um, I will say, yeah. I, I will say the, uh, the public press conference does, I, um, I, I can understand the, the concern. I can, the concern's not the right word. I can understand the apprehension that media would have about it. And, uh, but especially from a, a perspective of like, the uh, when you have Calvin Sampson and you have to ask him about violations and you have to ask him about difficult stuff. For the most part, a new coach press conference is it's not a I wouldn't say it's a celebration, but there's not going to be a whole lot of critical questions going on here, you know. So right, um, right. There's not you know unless unless you hire a guy who's under NCAA investigation, right, uh, right. You know which which they didn't <laughs> do this time. Hey, so hey, thankfully hey, two two times in a row they have you guys have avoided doing that. That's pretty good. Um, hey, got to start somewhere, you, right? You, and then you got to start over somewhere after five, after a couple years. Um, but yeah. anyway, I know you uh, you are having trouble with the breathing thing today, but I'm wondering what you're drinking for tonight's podcast. Well, because I'm having trouble breathing, I'm having some tequila. <laughs> uh, I think I've had this tequila already on this podcast, but it, just in case I haven't, this is Los Rijos uh, Reposado. Uh, it's It's really, really good. I got it. It was on sale at the local liquor store. Um, it's really smooth. I mean, I normally get the Blanco, um, the the you know the white tequila, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know, I need to branch out a little bit. The Reposado is kind of the there's like 
for those who don't know, there's three primary types of tequilas. There's the white tequila, and then there's the the uh, the reposados in the middle, and then the añejo is is the older one, and it's got more flavoring in it. But this is this reposado is really really good. I highly recommend it for anybody. Excellent. Um, it was funny. It, 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 was, it wasn't tequila, but my wife was at a conference this past weekend. She was at the Aces, the copy editors uh, conference down in St. Pete. And uh, she goes to the bar one night at the hotel and she orders a gin and tonic and they gave her a she ordered a gin and tonic. They gave her a rum and club soda. What? Yeah. I mean, what with lime. That's like that's like college bartender mix up <laughs> shit right, right there. You know? I, right. I mean, I mean, they did get the lime right. So they were batting 300. I guess, but um, <laughs> anyway, but th- she got that fixed. So I am, I am back, back with a craft beer today, and this is from a uh, friend of the program and uh, sh- uh, show content contributor Jared Paventi. Uh, ah. uh, it is a Twelve Gates West Coast IPA from Twelve Gates Brewing Company. They are based out of somewhere, oh, uh, Williamsville, New York. So not, not far nice. from Buffalo. It's a West Coast IPA, six point seven percent, and it's really. It's really solid. It's really good. It's a uh, it is like a typical like stone le- er- t- era level IPA. Good taste, good flavor. Not it doesn't have that. It's got that lightness to it that I like in a West Coast. It doesn't have the like the full bodied knee in the stomach hops. It's a, it's a good balance good balance flavor on this one. So I'm trying to think. So I'm going to Phoenix. Are there any like really top notch Phoenix microbrews that I need to, to tune into? Huh? I don't know. Because um, that's you know, I it seems like everywhere in the U.S. has um, you know some place that's got like beer as their calling card, and yet you know normally it's like California or or Tampa or upstate New York or or Indiana. You don't really hear about Phoenix or Arizona in general as being a hot spot for for microbreweries. No, but you know, like I wouldn't have thought Grand Rapids, Michigan was, and I know after you guys were up there last year that that it, it's got a, it's got some great ones. So, um, listeners, if you know of any good microbreweries in Phoenix in the Phoenix area that uh, Galen should check out, you can tweet him at Dr. GC, and then he can give a full report on next week's edition of the Flipside. Um, always open, yes. Always open, yes. So, um, so let's get we have a we have a ton of reader questions we'll get back to the iu one uh or you want to do that one to start off or is that let's do it let's do it yeah let's do it all right go oh i thought you were gonna read you were gonna read the question uh i don't have on the list of questions riveting stuff i don't have the iu questions i just have was it the trending thing that somebody posted on yours I didn't see uh, an IU. I did not see an IU question on any of our. The problem is, uh, my uh, no, I don't think we have. We no, there's there's nothing. Oh, beautiful, love it. So right. yeah, it's good. If I did get it, <laughs> if I honestly, if I got any responses, they got buried because. So my sportscasting class meets at two thirty on Monday, Wednesday. But today I told them, you know what, go to the press conference instead because you're going to cover that. Uh, as as part of your assignment, you're going to put together an audio package or a video package, and I so everybody checked in with me on social media. Okay. Somebody did ask. Uh, no, there was nothing, so I think we're good to go. Beautiful. All right, riveting stuff here. All right, let's get to uh, to the list. As always, every week, if you have a topic you would like for us to discuss, you can hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter and uh, let us know, and we will spend at least one minute on it. We'll do the serious one first, and then we'll work around. Um, friend of the show and beer supplier of mine, Jared Paventi, his topic is why it's important for both of you to join the Alzheimer's impact movement. A 
and he threw a link in there. Now, Jared, along with being my my best man and my best friend for a number of number of years, he is the uh, communicate chief communications officer for the Alzheimer's New York Alzheimer's Association of Central New York, um, and based out of Syracuse. And they are in Washington D.C. this week doing their annual lobbying efforts to increase funding, increase increase federal funding, increase money going to Alzheimer's research. Um, and so we'll just say, want to just say, kind of at the top, I personally don't have, thankfully, any real personal uh, impact of Alzheimer's disease on my life. It doesn't run in my family. Nobody that I know of in my family has had it. But of course, I have very close friends, Jared included, who have family members who have been affected by it. And Jared's been working at this organization for a lot of t- for for a long time. And Alzheimer's is, you know, I'm not, sh- I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know it's a very uh, one of the leading causes causes of death among seniors. It's a very, um, and, it, and it, it's just awful. It's an awful. It's it takes a toll on on patients. It takes a toll on caregivers. So I would urge everybody, if you've got a little, if you've got some extra money, join the Alzheimer's movement. If you've got a little time this week to write letters to your congressman, to tweet them, to to email them, to call their offices and urge them to fight for Alzheimer's and for fight for funding for all diseases. Because with the way politics are going now and budget situations are going, who knows what's going to be left on the cutting room floor? So you know. If you're able to, and and if you feel compelled to, I would urge you to to help the the community that's helping to fight Alzheimer's and support Alzheimer's programs and Alzheimer's caregivers. I mean, I I couldn't echo your sentiments any more than uh, than that. It's it's an important thing, and you know, to me, that's all. It's always been the saddest and the the most jolting of all the diseases you know i mean i feel like there's a certain you could just to some degree and maybe this is just the way that i'm wired the you know diseases that that hurt your physical abilities are they're bad certainly you know they're they're to be avoided but the ones that take away the mind are the worst of all and uh so you know it's something to get involved in and we'll have i think the link in the show notes as you said mm-hmm. uh so get involved uh, i i'll plan on doing so and hopefully everybody else will as well excellent so uh we'll, we'll, there, there, as they like to say there's no smooth transition back to our usual topics so we'll just we'll just mosey on and let's hit the one on twitter and this is from i forgot to note who this is from give me one second to go to my notifications and it's mike narain friend of the show hey. um hi Woo-hoo. mike all right so he wants us to talk about the implications for Vegas Golden Knights now that the Raiders are coming to town. The Golden Knights are the NHL expansion team in coming to Las Vegas, and today it was announced that the NFL approved the move from the Oakland Raiders to go to Las Vegas. I believe in two years is when they'll start playing out there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think okay. that's I think that's correct. All right, so. They, the hockey team was first. Now the Raiders are coming to town, and I know the Raiders from uh, a student of mine who has family out in Nevada says. I was saying in class today that the Raiders just have a, are huge in Las Vegas. Like they have a huge fan base out there. So what do you think this is going to do for both kind of the Vegas Golden Knights on a micro level and then spanning, expanding out to having pro sports in Vegas? Well, I don't think that – I actually am of the opinion that um, having the Raiders out there isn't going to hurt the Golden Knights. Uh, okay. I think what hurts the Golden Knights is the name Golden Knights. <laughs> That's, That's a, ter- a terrible, terrible. I, I'm trying. I've been trying. I've been racking my brain. Is that the worst nickname in professional sports? 
Uh, so the four major sports we're talking, obviously. Um, I'll even I will even I would even throw in MLS. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm trying to th- uh, let me think on this while you talk because I, I I can't think of anyone that's that's lamer than that. But let me let, let me think on that. So. Um, I, look, I don't. I've never looked at the NHL and the NFL as as being in any way, shape, or form competitors with one another. To me, they draw off of totally different groups of people, and I think in Vegas that will be exacerbated. Uh, you know, because there's hockey people and there's football people, and and sometimes they'll they'll do the same. But most of the time, a hockey person will go to a football game and vice versa. Um, I think actually what it does. It doesn't really have any impact on the Golden Knights. What it has an impact on is an NBA franchise in oh, Las yeah. Vegas. Because I know the NBA has been hot to get into Vegas for a while, and I mean they just haven't. The timing hasn't worked out. Um, but it's going to be very hard now for a third professional sports league to get into Vegas. Because I like, despite the fact that Vegas is a big city, and it is, and it's got a lot of money, it's not. I mean, it's a transient population. There aren't many people from there. It's kind of like Miami to a large degree. Right. And Lance is a little bit like that, too, historically. Yeah, but Atlanta, okay, that, okay, that's fair. Although I think Atlanta, like that, that's, that was, that's been an excuse for so long that a whole generation of people no. has now grown up that's from Atlanta. Yeah, it's using that and, excuse that nobody's from Atlanta. Well, no, the, well, the idea is like, it's true that like, there, 30 years ago, there weren't really Falcons fans or Braves fans or, or you know, Hawks fans. But I think that those are gradually developing, particularly with, like, the Falcons. I think that that's, that's a steady fan base now, or perhaps it wasn't before. Um, but with Vegas, you're starting from scratch. And to get three franchises in there at once, I, I don't think that it would be, um, you know, particularly wise. So, look, I... I think this NFL thing is going to be really weird because um, it's it's hard to plop a new NFL franchise down in a place where there's just no real fan reaction. And the whole pitch for like the, the hockey team in Vegas was that, oh, this will be something that people do while they're in Vegas. Uh, you know, it's like you'll you'll go to Vegas for five days. You'll you know you'll go gamble. You'll he- eat buffets. You'll go to a couple of shows and you go to a hockey game. Okay. This is what this is what like there's like four uh, NCAA conference tournaments for men's basketball that play in Vegas. And the idea is basically, well, we might only get four thousand people to come, but that'll be more than we get if we hold this thing in Boise, Idaho, or something, something like that. You know, sure. uh, so like. I don't know. I, I look at the move in, and I think just for pro sports in general, it's going to be a weird experiment because I just I don't see the population in um, in in Vegas as being particularly embracing of either team. I think they'll be slightly more embracing of the hockey team simply because they don't have to be outside. Oh, that's uh, a, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I mean, it's not like being outside is a particularly pleasant experience in Las Vegas. Well, so yeah, and and the other thing, like like my gut, your gut instinct is always go with the NFL. I think because it's only eight games, it's the NFL, so it has that kind of built-in draw. And 
you know, you only like I said, you only have eight games. Hockey, you have 41 games you have to fill, and that's a lot. But at the same time, I hadn't thought about the weather situation, and that's a really, really good point. But look, part of the problem that the NFL is ha- – part of the, the issue the NFL has, I don't – I think attendance is all around pretty good, or at least ticket sales are all around good. But if you're in Las Vegas, A, do you want to spend the time outside? But Or B, if you're a football fan, are you going to go see a Raiders-Broncos game, even a pretty good game – or are you going to go down to the sports book at one of the one of the one of the casinos and be able to bet all day, drink all day inside air conditioning, watching every game in HD? I think there's going to be a lot more competition there. Like the team will succeed because it's Vegas and you know the and it's the NFL and it, it's um and kind of all those like just kind of general cultural factors. But I don't know. I don't. I I, well, I, don't, I, 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 I think there's going to be a lot more competition for it than maybe a hockey game because a hockey game if you don't draw if you don't it doesn't matter if you don't draw sell out every day but if there are empty seats at a, at a football game that's going to be a thing i'd also like to note and i mean this is not an, an absolute proxy because it's certainly a lower level of football but uh, there is a football team in las vegas and they've been there for a while it's the the university of nevada las vegas mm-hmm. and i just want to note that if you look at uh, the last really good year that UNLV had was the 2013 season. They were 7-6 and six that year. They went to a bowl game. And I want to read off the home attendance figures uh, for their games. Okay. They played Arizona at home. They lost 58-13. They got 27,000 people. The next week, they played Central Michigan at home. They got 10,900 people. Uh, the week after they played Western Illinois, they got 13,000 people, uh, 22,000 for Hawaii, 15,000 for San Jose State, 15,000 for Utah State, and 15,000 for San Diego State. Um, so, again, it's not apples to apples by any means, but um, even for a winning football team, there's... There, there's, there seems to need to be more draw than just that. And Vegas is a pretty, I mean, it's a big city, but a big metro area. The population, I just looked it up, right around two million. But that's not huge. And the, as a TV market, it's pretty small. Like it's on the smaller side of the NFL, of the NFL markets. Um, I don't know. When you have such a transient population, it could go either way. Like you could draw pretty well because, like you said, people are in Vegas for any number of the eighty-seven thousand conventions that are there every week. Or you know, on vacation or whatever, and yeah, pop over for a game. But I think do think I do think you're right that the number of and I and I gotta figure the the level of the bar for success for the NHL team is going to be a lot lower than the expectations of the Raiders moving from Oakland to Las Vegas there and the billion dollar stadium and the NFL ness of it all. I will say I I have two quick notes. One, um, a stupid personal note, but when I we had a family fantasy football league when I was in like high school and my team. Was was the Las Vegas Blackjacks. I made up a logo, a helmet nice. for them and everything. Um, and even back then, I didn't understand why there wasn't a, a pro team in Las Vegas. Two, I looked over the Wikipedia page for major pro sports teams of the United States and Canada, and Golden Knights is by far and away the worst nickname of any <laughs> of them. I mean, it, I mean, pro- there's probably, only, probably I mean, a you, lot of it is like I'm used to the name. So like the Nashville Predators is not a great name, but it's not, I don't think it's terrible. It's just kind of blah. Um, and a lot of like, I, I feel like a lot of these nicknames, they're not bad. They're just kind of traditional or lame or just kind of, eh. but Golden Knights is terrible. You're right. It is awful. 
What if it was just knights? That would be better, I think. I think that okay. would be better. The Golden Knights. It, yeah, it sounds it sounds like a minor league, uh, an, a AAA my, uh, baseball team. Um, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. Although the worst nickname in, uh, in, in in professional sports right now is the team I used to cover. The old Binghamton Mets are now the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Oh, is that really the worst? That's, that's it. That's, it's uh, up there. I mean, I'm going to have to look at some hockey while we're uh, doing this and see if I can. Because there's always some terrible nicknames in hockey. Once you get get in the minor leagues, you get gold, pure gold. What about about the Greenville Swamp Rabbits? (laughs) I kind of want a Swamp Rabbits hat. That's amazing. Um, Um, uh, Let me me see what their logo looks like. It's actually not a terrible logo. It's it's uh, it's it's an anthropomorphized rabbit with, with... it's holding a, a hockey stick that's in the shape of a carrot. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it is. So that's so the problem I'm seeing with the with the Swamp Rabbits logo is I love the carrot as the hockey stick because it's the carrot and the stick. It's all combined into one. It's gold, but the rabbit is orange. The writing on Swamp Rabbits is orange, and the hockey stick because it's a carrot is also orange, and it's orange and black. So you got like a flyer thing. It's I I. The, 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 we need we need a little better color variation here. We need a little better color variation. Although there I is just, a, there's a Swamp Rabbits, I believe Christmas. What is this Christmas logo that was here? The Swamp Rabbits sing for Santa. Oh, this is gold. Yeah, I, you just sent me something in the in the in the in the dingus here. What did it's you the uh, I sent you one of my favorite websites of all time, which I'm shocked is still alive because it's been alive for a decade now. But it's called the Bush League Factor. Okay, and this this dude rates. And like gives like numerical scores to the Bush League factor of of logos of hockey teams across the country. Uh, I've uh, got a conference paper deadline this week. <laughs> Why are you sending me this? <laughs> it's a great website. Uh, I mean, the, and he does baseball as well. Uh, like just for an example, like you know the best. Uh, the, the best logo is the Atlanta Gladiator. They used to be the Gwinnett Gladiators. The worst logo is the Macon Mayhem uh, of the SPHL. I mean, you could just go. I mean, it's you, you could spend hours just reading through the guy's rating. He's a pretty funny reader or fr- pretty funny writer. Uh, it's good. It's good stuff to read. Awesome. So that will be in show notes too. Oh, the swamp, the Greenville Swamp. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> the carrot and the stick. I can't get over that. All right, <laughs> Move, moving on. Um, Let's do the let's do this one. We can expand this one. Uh, friend of the show and sister of the show, Amy Moritz. How there is an appropriate Hamilton quote for every situation. Uh, the two of us were going back and forth, uh, exchanging Hamilton quotes in in regards to the women's hockey, the U.S. women's hockey situation, and their meeting and the strike that they're that they're going on um, to try to get uh, pay equality. Um, right. And, you know, Hamilton is certainly one of those quotable pieces of, of pop culture that if you know it, you can it's very a very fle- it's the, it's something that's very flexible that you can make work into um, a lot of situations. And I and I liken it too. So I got thinking of expand of how we can expand this out. And like for me, Hamilton is kind of the current one. But Simpsons and West Wing and Futurama, I think, are my top three kind of quotable um, quotable shows that like shows have quotes for a lot of situations, or I end up kind of defaulting to them. Simpsons, you know, I'm I'm a 39 year old white guy, so of course the Simpsons is that for me. Um, it's not like I'm in rare rare turf there. Um, but those are the kind of the the, the shows I I find are pretty quotable and something we don't I I I don't 
I don't know if we've talked about before, but kind of do you have any shows or movies or kind of pop culture things that you kind of end up quoting like without realizing it? Like you kind of default to those quotes. Ball rats. Oh, good call. Wow. Yeah, me me and Pat Walsh and my roommates from college, all of whom are, you know, I don't think I've ever met each other. Well, Pat Walsh and my roommates. And are, no, they have. They haven't met each other. That's not true. But independent of them knowing each other, we always quote mall rats in almost every <laughs> occasion. Uh, and and it's great. You know, really. It's uh, it's it's what I think one of the more underrated movies of the 90s because it was so, like, there was so much anticipation going into it because right. of the because of clerks, the, the, yeah, because of the residue of clerks and uh, the other movie that I, I quote all the time, but I'm the only one that does this is a movie called True Romance. Yep, that's your only uh, on that one. No, well, you, okay. Have you ever seen the movie? I have not. It's it, it's it was written by Quentin Tarantino and directed by Tony Scott. Okay. And it stars Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette. It's got Christopher Walken in it. It's got Dennis Hopper in it. It's got uh, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Chris Penn. Brad yeah, it's, Pitt. It's a, it is an amazing Ron, movie. It Bronson is, Pinchot. Bronson <laughs> Pinchot. Who's listed above Samuel L. Jackson? Michael, Michael Rappaport's <laughs> in it. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> James Gandolfini. I mean, what? The, yes. Okay, I'm gonna have to give this. A, I'm gonna have to give this a throw. I think this looks. This you need. Yeah, you really need to watch it. It's it's an amazing, amazing film. But uh, it's and it's very it's 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 a, it's an early Tarantino film, so it's just insanely quotable. Awesome. Um, and it's but again, it's one of those that no one's ever seen before. It's a shame. Yeah, would you? Can I offer you a chocolate pretzel, chocolate covered pretzel? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah, yes, I love it. I have to go back. I haven't watched the. Uh, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, but I haven't watched the. Uh, the viewers universe movies in a long time. Um, and I feel like I need to, they were a very nineties. They were very nineties, very nineties. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested, you know, clerks is, you know, clerks, I guess is the, the, my movie version of that. If the other three are two, three of these shows clerks for me and my, and our group of friends is kind of the default. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. So good question. All right. Let's go to, let's handle this one really quick. Cause then we have three others that we can spend a little time on. Uh, one of my students, Jim McGregor, I won't read this whole question, um, but he wants us to, he wants us. So you can really speak about the lack of quality music at Ozfest. That's the uh, SUNY Oswego student, big student concert that they have every year. Um, okay. So the, the, the lineup this year, let me double check this. He, Ozfest.com, I don't want Ozfest.com. That's going to be weird. Um, oh, it's for sale. Um, let's see here. So this year's lineup. So this is the third year they have done it. It is um, DNCE, all caps, okay. which I believe I, I'm, I'm, I've been told is Joe Jonas's outfit. They have apparently a, a pop song that a lot I, that I'm people were surprised I didn't know. Um, and uh, DJ, and then a, a boogie, a hyphen boogie, who is apparently a rap artist. Um, and I, I, I asked my students about this because being old man Moritz, I have never heard of either of them. I didn't know how to pronounce them. I didn't know if DNCE was an acronym or if that's what you said. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of mixed in reaction, kind of kind of an across the board mess. Some people really like it. Some people are really not happy with it. Um, you know, this is funny because Ozfest is something they've been doing for. This is the third year now that they've done it at Oswego, and it's really something they do to combat 
a big drink fest. Um, the last day of classes uh, at, on campus, they have students would do at Oswego what's called the Bridge Street Run, which is Bridge Street's one of the main, the one of the the main road in in, in town. And there are a bunch of bars on there, so you wear a white T-shirt, and everyone goes down and like you go bar to bar, and they close down the, the street and everything. And so before I got hired or before I started, there were a couple incidents, and there were some unfortunate heroin overdoses the same day, unrelated to the 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 event, but happened at the same time and so the school started this move this Ozfest concert to the same weekend and it was an attempt it was an attempt to you can't shut down an informal bridge street run but it's kind of trying to shut it down um and and and, and so the, the them trying to bring you know it's always a thing for students trying to bring in you know um uh artists that you know kind of appeal to a wide enough cross-section of the student body. Um, right. And so, I mean, so at Indiana, I mean, cause you obviously an enormous state school, do you have like, is there like one student festival or student concert? Are there like mini concerts throughout the year? So it's interesting at Indiana we have, so there's, there's culture shock, which is what the student radio station puts on. It's like an indie rock fest, but okay. they've had some, some pretty good acts before. Uh, I mean, you have to know indie rock kind of to know any of the names but sure. like mac demarco mac demarco played here um foxygen played here a couple of years ago neon indian played here last year okay. um you know which i mean again if you know indie rock these are like oh you know it's interesting uh, there's also um during this time of year like heading into april there's uh concerts around little five the little 500 the the bike race that okay. uh that's also the world's greatest college weekend um and i'm not it's it is it really is and, and a lot of times those are hip-hop acts i think was it dear was it lil wayne that played here a few years ago chance the rapper was here last oh, year nice. um Wiz Khalifa has been here for that. Um, I remember the famous one was, I think, in 2002. Nelly played here, got through like four songs, started climbing like a fence on the side of the stage, and the police came in and shut the whole concert down. Awesome. Uh, but we've also had like the Red Hot Chili Peppers have played here for that. We've had we had Wilco play here a few years ago. And then we've also got like, like random acts that come throughout, like, throughout the year. Like we had... Um, Last month, my wife and I went and saw Ben Folds. Ooh, uh, very nice. It was a really good show, but it wasn't a student thing. It was just in Bloomington. Okay. Um, we had Be- we went and saw Beck. Uh, Beck played here at the IU Auditorium in September. So it's this is very much yeah. One of the things you got to understand for those who don't understand Indiana University and Bloomington is that this is really a musical mecca. Like one of the top indie rock labels is headquartered in Bloomington. It's called secretly Canadian. And, uh, they, they have a lot of like a lot of the, 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 like, uh, do you know, um, Bonnie Vare? Oh, sure. Bonnie Vare is signed to the label that's in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, wow. Uh, and like Foxygen recorded their for like big de- like big breakthrough debut album in Bloomington, and and so you get a lot of musical acts that you might not otherwise get that come through here. Plus, you've got a world renowned music school uh, with like that, that just spans the gamut. I mean, Miles Davis was a professor here. Oh come on! 
in the sixties and seventies, <laughs> seriously. So, so like it's a different scene than what you would get at a place like Oswego, which, while I'm sure very cultured, probably doesn't have that sort of connection to the music world. Uh, Bloomington and IU, IU has probably the top public music school in the United States. Huh. Interesting. I did not know that about about IU, and it makes sense too. I mean, it's such a big, you know, and and, and just when you have a a huge state university and a college town like Bloomington, you're going to get good music acts. Like you're going to get good, you know, just random concert tours. Um, the, I'm the going year, to see J- Jimmy Eat World is coming to the Bluebird in May. I, I, my first, the first manager I covered with the Binghamton Mets was uh, the drummer's dad. The drummer, <laughs> Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Really? Oh, that's really? an awesome pack. Yeah, he, uh, I, I, they always used to play Jimmy Eat World. This was 2005, so they would always play Jimmy Eat World during like batting practice. And his ringtone was, uh, what's their song? The big, their big, big gig song. The middle? Yes, thank you. That was his ringtone. And I remember like it, it catching my eye, and then I read something like that, it, that his kid was the drummer. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of awesome. That is like dad has it as his ringtone and, you know, back when ringtones were a thing and he plays it. So my, your Nelly story reminded me of the best concert story I have like that. When I was a junior live came to play at St. Bonaventure and, um, and this was, uh, secret Samadhi, the, the, the album after throwing copper and, um, and the, uh, the lead singer. And so they had, they, they, they did the, the thing that a lot of bands do that they played like all their newer stuff first and you could tell that they were like going to play all their big hits right in a row at the end. Right. Right. And, um, and, uh, so Ed Kowalczyk, the lead singer says, we were driving around town today talking about Olean and, uh, this is a song that we thought of and they start playing shit town. Um, somebody, <laughs> somebody in the crowd at, at first we thought it was like a protest move. Apparently it was a drunk volleyball player threw her shoe toward the stage Hit Ed Kowalczyk in the ear, so pushes his ear monitor into his ear, screams, MFs the crowd, throws down his guitar, storms off stage. The rest of the band finishes like the last eight bars of the song, walk off and put down their instruments, walk off, trash the trash the dressing room, get on the bus, leave. Show's over after like forty minutes. Wow. Yeah. So that's my live story. Um, I never got to hear Lightning Crashes live. So. From live. live might be one of the more overrated bands of the era. I yeah, I haven't. Listened they were to- they were kind of like a proto creed to some degree. Ooh, interesting. I mean, they're because they're like I, I've tried because you know one of the things that I, I to my everlasting shame I missed a lot of '90s music as it happened because I was very uncool in high school, and it wasn't until I got a job at a CD store when I was a junior in college that I really started listening to, like, modern music, because mostly I grew up on, like, 60s and 70s stuff, that's what my parents played, we didn't have MTV in the house, my dad, like, didn't really like modern music, I never listened to the radio, so I really didn't have a lot of access to it, um, so, you know, many bands I ended up coming to well after the fact. And and so I would I would remember, though, I remember, like, you know, like the Counting Crows. Like, I, I remembered that that album was huge in, like, 1994, 1995, or, you know, or, mm-hmm. like, Tonic. I remember being big, you know, stuff like, like, random things like that. And I remember Lightning Crashes being a huge album. And so I, I tried going back and listening to it, and I really, of all the bands from that era, they're like the one I probably have 
been able to get into the least. I mean, everything's kind of sludgy. It, it, it's sludgy. I, I do like Ed Kowalczyk's voice. I, I, there's something about, about the timbre of his voice that I do like. But it is like the ultimate in like mid-90s, very earnest rock. Like not, you know, not, you know, Creed is an interesting example because like that earnestness is there. And not like that, you know... That 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 over seriousness of it is. Um, would you would you prefer live or Candlebox? Hang on, I have to look because I always confuse Candlebox and Collective Soul. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say Candlebox and Silverchair. Uh, <laughs> Silverchair, yes. Oh, the fourteen-year-olds, and then they came back with a good album, a better album when they were like nineteen. Hang on, Candlebox. Which one are they? Candlebox did. Let's see. Far behind you. I'm gonna go live over Candlebox on this one. I'm gotcha. Not a, I, 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 if you ask me, Candlebox or Collective Soul, I think I'm taking Collective Soul. I think you'd have to. Yeah. Like, they, Collective Soul had like a, a whole album's worth of singles. Yes. And yes. Live really only had two worthwhile singles. I would, I would, I would say. Yeah. So, um, this has been this has been our weekly trip down the '90s alternative rock rat hole. Um, we should get between that and between that and mole rats. We're uh, <laughs> yeah. We should just just do a '90s review. We should just take like a month of the '90s and talk about it every year. Actually, I wanted to mention that like so you know I've got students now who are or four of them now former students who are younger than us and who the '90s was just kind of a, a fleeting memory rather than a, a thing. Well, and I, go ahead, friend. Sorry. No, go ahead. What were you no, going to say? I was just going to say really quick. I, it, it dawned on me when uh, in my media law class last year, I brought up the OJ trial and got blank looks. And I'm like, you weren't alive during the OJ trial. Like, right. Le- legitimately, they were born in like 1986. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, continue. Sorry. Well, uh, I'm trying to find the Facebook post that uh, one of my former students made uh, because I think it's it's pretty it, it just reminded me of of something that I've I've often talked about which is how crazy the 90s really were and they don't really get their due like everybody talks about how crazy the 60s were mm-hmm. and and okay so here's the post this is from Courtney Cronin who's now a reporter with the Bay Area News Group she's a sports reporter out there um but she said, you know, I flipped on the TV as I was getting ready just now and I saw ESPN's 30 for 30 the price of gold was just about wrapping up I was three years old during that bizarre Kerrigan-Harding scandal, and it dawns on me now that I wasn't fully cognizant of a lot of major events that went down in 1994. Like, holy hell, what a cluster of a year that included the following. The Kerrigan-Harding Olympic skating scandal, the Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman murders, World Trade Center bombing number one, which actually was 93. 93, yeah. Major League Baseball strike and no World Series, the Rwandan genocide, Nelson Mandela getting elected in South Africa in the first interracial election, Kurt Cobain's suicide, Pulp Fiction, Woodstock 94, and the Israel-Jordan Peace Treaty. Uh, And I mean, if you expand the timeline a little bit, you know, if you expand it one year forward, you've got the Oklahoma City bombing, which happened in April of 95. Um, you had in uh, the the previous year, you had you had Waco, I believe, happened at that point. Waco was 94, yeah. Or 93, I think, wasn't I think it? it was 90- yes. Uh, yeah. Let me look. And the LA riots were 92. I mean, that, that, I've always said that time period was like starting with Desert Storm mm-hmm. and ending with 9 11. That, that was one of the most 
like bizarrely kind of low key crazy times in American history. Like a lot of things changed that we didn't fully realize at the time. And you know, and also during that period, the internet went from basically not existing to being the basis of everything that we were doing in business and what would soon be everything that we would do in news. Right. And it, it, it's stunning to think like, to think back on that. We may need to do a few nineties retrospective shows. Um, but it is like, like it is stunning to think like under all these things that we've talked about, by the way, 1993, Tim Berners Lee invented the World Wide web. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like what? Like it always, it still blows me away to this day that, that, that you can say that that sentence, that one dude invented this. And yes, I know every, you know, it is a collective effort, but that, but that, you know, like the graphical web that we do, that, that we know is, you know, 1993, I was in, I was in 10th grade, you know, and that, that's one of those things where it really doesn't feel that long ago. Um, and just, you know, one of the things that, uh, we should get back to our questions in a second. One of the things I always love thinking back on the, like the, especially the early nineties. So like 91 to 95 is you look back on it and like youth culture was comparatively speaking so old back then, like, like youth and pop culture was like early, like college and early twenties. They were the driving force and how that's gotten so much younger in the pat in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the succeeding two decades that it's very much like, like what's, what drives pop culture now are preteen and teenage girls and teenagers, as opposed to, you know, the 23 year olds who were, who were very much the cultural trendsetters in the, in the early nineties. Well, I think that we can blame social media for that. Okay. Cause I think what you've done, like, if you think about it, like what drove youth culture was to a large degree, the people that were getting on television and were communicating to people like five or six years younger than them. Sure. So it was 22 or 23 year olds communicating to 17 year olds. Um, now because of social media, you've got 13 year olds like making their own consumer decisions. They don't have to go through their parents or, or go through, the, the very rigorous process of, you know, what used to get printed in a teen magazine because there would be layers of editors or or go through the process of, uh, or, or you know, or watch something on MP, MTV or, or, you know, television, which, again, had many layers through which things had to filter before it would actually get on air. And so the idea of aiming that young was seen as foolish because those people don't have purchasing power, but now they do. Right, that's a good point. And they have the ability to expose themselves to lots of things. That was a poor choice of words. Uh, <laughs> they have the ability. They have the ability to garner exposure to a bunch of different things that they would not have had the opportunity to before because they didn't have informational mobility. Has anybody coined that phrase yet? I informational... love it. We got I'm... it. Okay, make sure that we delete, like, like bleep that out of the podcast so that I can use that in a paper. Okay, so I shouldn't use that as the title, is what you're saying. <laughs> Please don't. Okay. Although you know, no one listens to this thing anyway. That's, so that, that, that's untrue. We have a, we have a hardcore a hardcore base <laughs> of people that we help every week. Um, speaking of helping, my brother-in-law John Bankert wants to know: better meat substitute, tofu or Satan? Satan? I have no idea how to pronounce that, so I'm going to go tofu. Um, I know both of these exist. I've cooked tofu. Um, I haven't cooked it well, but I've cooked it. So I'm going to say tofu and I'm going to let you, I'm going to cede the rest of the minute to you. I guess it's Satan. Okay. Now, is that your answer or how you pronounce it? Yes. (laughs) I just, I mean, I, I get the point of a meat substitute, but like here we have a Satan. Is it Satan dear or is it Satan? She has no clue. Okay. 
She says it's Satan. Satan. Uh, okay. So we'll go like, with Satan. Like Mirashoth. Okay. Like here they've got a Satan tenderloin. So it's this meat substitute that they they dip in batter and deep fry so that it will simulate a pork tenderloin. And my wife says it's incredibly gross. Sure. Uh, like, I don't know. I've yet to get to the point where I feel like subbing meat out of my diet. So I really don't have much to say on no, this No, and, and I know the, one of the reasons he asks is that his daughter, my niece, is vegetarian. So you look at um, at, at, at finding meat substitutes. Um, I don't know enough about about either of these to really say. I'm going to say to- – I, I, I do know – I, I um, I, no, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about these. Um, Jared Paveni, my friend, answered on his thread that the best meat substitute is chicken. There you go. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty good. Um, so so we're split. Um, and um, John, I'm glad we could help you. Okay. All right. This is a fantastic question, and um, and I, I and I've. I'm interested to hear your, your opinion on because I, I, I after I read it and started thinking, I realized I had a lot to say about this. So this is from Drew Barnett. Uh, kind of dated, but I'm curious to hear different takes. Is sports entertainment? Music clearly is. If you buy a concert ticket and half the band decides to take the night off, that's ridiculous. Is sports in that category or not? Is resting players ridiculous or not? Are fans owed anything other than admission into the building? So we're playing off of what's going on in the NBA with the new trend of resting stars, and it's a sham and a travesty and a mockery. It's a Travis sham mockery. Um, I'm gonna hear your take first. Or do you? Yeah, let's go with you. Uh, I mean, look, I think it's a nuanced issue. I think Popovich was getting at that when he was asked this question with the answer he tried to give, which is, look, I mean, th- look, th- there are too many games. Yes. In in pro sports, maybe not the NFL. I don't know that you could get away with having less games in the NFL. Maybe one, maybe two less games in the NFL would be the max. But, you know, 16 games. I mean, they tried. They, were, they wanted to expand the schedule to 18 games. and Everybody flipped out for good reason because there's just there's too many games. And look, there's too many baseball games. There's too many basketball games. There's too many hockey games. Mm-hmm. The regular seasons don't really matter that much. And all the only reason why we have that many games is is greed, greedy owners right. who want to maximize the amount of money that they can get uh, at the gate. And look, I just when I look at the amount of money that's out there that's being spent from a media perspective on uh on these these games it, it's it's interesting because it's it's not quite like music um because with music or with movies what you're doing ideally is you're presenting a best case representation of your art or your craft i don't i mean creed is not art but it is craft um but you're presenting a best a best case scenario of your 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 art or craft to an audience in a kind of a replicable performance that is repeated several times purely for geographical reasons because people want to have physical proximity to the music um sports is different because in almost every case there's competition involved in sports and the, the money that people make, the fame that is attached to people, the success that people are 
assigned in sports is largely due to whether they're able to win or lose the competitions. And ultimately, when you have that sort of a setup, you can't compare you know, uh, a concert on a Wednesday night at Saratoga Performing Arts Center to a, a regular season game in San Antonio because there, there's going to be a competitive issue. It may not be the competitive issue may not be that individual game. That game is less important to one team or the other, or maybe within the span of like a season, you know, for the Spurs, that game isn't that important because what they really want is a healthy team for the playoffs. And so I think that the issue that you have here is, we we tend I, I do think sports are entertainment, but they're they're more than that from a from the standpoint of like what the entertainment that we're watching means. Uh, now something like the Harlem Globetrotters that's more akin to music or movies because there again it's replicating a performance and putting it in front of a bunch of different audiences. Sure. But actual sport competition it's another thing altogether. So I was thinking about this, and one of the things I always think of when we get into resting players, and an analogy a lot of people will draw is to the Broadway understudy, where if you go to see Hamilton with the original Broadway cast and you go, they announce before the show, Lin-Manuel Miranda will not be appearing tonight uh, in his place, will be Javier Munoz. Um, and you're bummed, do you want, do you, but you don't get your money back. Like, but I be, do believe it is announced. Like, they they tend to announce it before you walk into the theater, so you can know. I think I'm not sure. I, I have to, my my wife, if she listened to this, would be flipping out that I don't know this. <laughs> um, but give but, him a break. Give him a break. He's got I, a lot on his mind. But, yeah, but I do think, but but um, but but I think one of the bigger issues is that you know what, where that comparison falls apart with the sports model is that you don't have like the entire original cast taking a night off, or all three of your biggest stars taking a night off, like you're seeing in the NBA. The one music analogy I would draw here would be last summer. I talked about it on this very podcast. Um, I went to see Bob Dylan in concert. Um, I did not pay for tickets, um, but if I had, I would have been pissed off because Bob Dylan was terrible. I mean, he was awful live. He didn't perform. I mean, he performed two sets. He 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 was you know even by Dylan standards, I feel like he was kind of like you couldn't really understand him and kind of mumbly. Um, obviously, no crowd interaction. He played maybe two of his his bigger songs and none of his like biggest hits, and. And so to draw the sports analogy, to be all Tony Kornheiser, who suddenly is the voice of a fan and all these TV people who are suddenly care about fans and are voices of the fan. Um, you're a little kid. You're a kid and you drive a long way to this show and you spend money and you're the kid's a musician and he's a diehard Dylan fan and he goes there and he doesn't see Bob Dylan perform any of his hits. Do we feel bad for them? And I don't think we do, in part because it's kind of Dylan's rep, right? Like, you know Dylan's not going to get out there and, like, do a Greatest Hits cavalcade. That's not Bob Dylan. That's not kind of who he is. Um, and, and, and I don't know. It just I, – I, I, I bristle at this notion of teams shouldn't be able to rest players because because it's not good for the fans. Um you know, because a because the idea the the thing is you have a lot of different stakeholders with very different uh, goals here, right? The team stakeholder the the team the stakeholders of the team, like the Spurs, the Warriors, the the Cavs at that level, like they're playing for June, like they're 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 this is definitely a marathon for them, and so you have the idea of you have to 
you know, we know how important rest is now. It's not the Iron Man days where Michael Jordan played every game, so everybody should. Um, there are different stakeholders, and, and we know the importance of rest. So it's important to the team and to the players for the long term to maybe to maybe take a rest. But then you have the entertainment. So that's from a competitive standpoint. But from an entertainment and from a business standpoint, yeah, it, it matters to have your best players out there and to have them out there and and for the people in the stands, for the TV stand, for the TV at all. So I agree with you. I think it's a complicated issue because I don't think you can tell teams not to rest multiple players because all of then I think it was Jay Williams on PTI last week said all of a sudden, Ooh, my knee is tweaked up. I can't go tonight coach. Sorry about that. Um, so one interesting thing I've heard of with this, and it's not so much punitive. There's two ideas I've heard. I'm just, they, they seem facile, but I'm interested in your opinion on them. What do you think about the two notions? One that, um, it's better if if the players if teams rest their players at home, like sit them out of home games. The idea being, you're already seeing LeBron James 41 times. If he sits out three home games, you have other chances to see him, as opposed to like the one trip they make to New Orleans or wherever. And the other is if a player if players aren't going to play, they have to come and sign autographs. I mean. <sighs> I just I don't know I you're not guaranteed anything it, like I remember when I was in college my girlfriend at the time for Valentine's Day got me and her two tickets to go see the Pacers play at home versus the Golden State Warriors who were not very good back then mm-hmm. like that was a bad Warriors team we went up there and I was all excited because I'd never been to a Pacers game before. And we sat down in the stands and, you know, got ready for the game. And by the third quarter, the Pacers were down 30. Oy. And they, it was just, it was, they just played terribly the whole game. And, you know, I wasn't mad. That's that's the price you pay sometimes when you buy a ticket. You're not guaranteed anything. I, it, it, this whole conversation reminds me, for those who are old enough to remember, when Michael Jordan came back, from his, you know, retirement. He came back in like March of right. 1995. And he didn't wear 23. He wore the number 45. Mm-hmm. And his rationale was, well 23 was the the last, you know, uniform that my dad saw me play in before he died. And he wore 45 throughout the rest of the regular season into the playoffs. They lost to the Magic. The following year, he came back and he was wearing number 23 again. And people complained that they had gone out and spent hundreds of dollars buying all these 45 jerseys. And now they were worthless. Well, actually, those things are collector's items, you numbskulls. But beyond that... The idea that you're owed something, I, I think this is the thing that maybe gets to me the most. Like, not only do we have the competitive aspects of things, but we've also got the the reality that people really think in their minds that a athletes owe them something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as far as that what they do on the floor, and b that what athletes are doing, anybody could go do. Right. And you know the the physical toll particularly in the NBA that an 82 game season has on your joints on your knees on on you know just your stamina is is bad enough but when you add you know potentially 28 extra games at the end of the season mm-hmm. if you play four seven game series 
I mean, that is, that is a tremendous toll. And not to mention if you then have to go play for like Team USA. Right. You know, in the off season. I mean, um, the idea that we need 82 games is kind of laughable on its face. It's, it's, uh, it's a made-up number. Bill Simmons actually did a good piece on this in his most recent mailbag. Um, it's a made-up number that's just stuck around for a long time. And, it, you know, it's like, well, we're used to that now. We're not going to change it. Um, cutting it back makes a lot of sense. And until we do, I think NBA players and NBA coaches should do whatever the hell they want in terms of rest. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. You know, it, it's, you know, and, and, and kind of related, I do find the, uh, well, I mean, I think embedded in that is the idea that they're playing a game and, you know, the, the, the kind of popular notion, I don't subscribe to this for one second but that idea that you know you're playing you're playing a game you're just playing basketball and i love the notion and i think my favorite coach john beeline uncorked this that like they're 18 and 19 years old talking about michigan or players in the ncaa tournament they don't get tired they're 18 19 i'm like yeah they do playing playing at a high level like it's one of kind of like i was reading a story about uh from one of the espn the the analytics espn the magazine analytics where they had the the peanut butter jelly story but they also had one on why like nightlife has died in the nba and it's a fascinating story like why nobody basically players don't drink in the nba anymore and a lot of it has to do with the flights like they take charter flights so you don't have extra nights in cities or something like that but a lot of it is just you know be one of the hidden things of the analytics uh, analytics movement the greater analytics movement is understanding how important like taking care of your body is so sleep and food and you know you know kind of general rest and how important that stuff is to an athlete's performance um and yeah i think i i think that um as we get a better understanding of it um you we're going to see this more and i agree i think that it, even if they're not going to cut the schedule back in the num- terms of number of games they should probably start you know, stretch it out a little bit. So, I mean, because it, it's like the, the, the back-to-backs are the three and four nights is when you start seeing these. And there's no reason for doing that, for grinding right. that amount of game into that amount of time. So, um, we have one question. By the way, did you yeah. – did you one thing real quick. Did you read that article about how Tinder has – yeah. revolutionize the nba that's, that's the same the same article i was I, I was referring to where they talk about sleep and they talk about um yeah yeah okay yeah, gotcha. yeah it basically uh uh guy, guys don't have to again it's kind of like they don't have to go out anymore because they can just tinder or instagram to get their booty calls yes things the thing sometimes i'm glad i wasn't a reporter during the age of social media because that would just be exhausting i think um all right oh, it would be a lot it'd be a lot of fun don't it'd, kid yourself it'd be both um, so, final question comes from uh, your lovely wife, Katie Metz Clavio. How far can what you go with multitasking while driving? I saw a guy shaving his face the other day while driving, and she did point out that he was driving his car and she was driving her car. Um, so she was not in said shaver's car. I do want clarification. I'm going to assume it was an electric razor and not like a straight edge with with foam. She said it was an electric razor. Okay. I asked her about it. Okay, I I, I figured as much. Um. Huh. I mean, that that I I I've heard of people using laptops while driving. Um yep. that's that I've seen people reading books while driving. Okay. Um Yeah, the so I I, I am an invert I am an unfortunate multitasker while driving. Um usually like glancing at the phone and eating or drinking. I know I shouldn't, but I do. Um but I've never shaved while driving. That would that would seem to me to be a 
a really low, a uh, high, high risk reward situation there. Cause, um, I mean, I gotta think how good a shave are you possibly getting while you're also driving? I mean, if you're, I mean, if you just got like, do like you, a, I don't, I, I, I gotta be honest. This is not an area I know a lot about because I have the weirdest facial hair. Like it doesn't react. You've seen mine, right? Uh, no, I mean, I get, but I mean, like my facial hair is so soft. It doesn't cut well with an electric razor. It never has. Like, okay. like I, I have to use just like, I can use a trimmer, but as far as like a razor, it, it's like an electric razor doesn't really work. So this is not an area that I'm, I'm that familiar with. Um, yeah, and I don't know. So how far can we go multitasking? I mean, the eating and drinking is kind of standard. The looking at the phone. I don't, you know, I think that I, I, I would imagine like the quick shave with the electric razor is kind of pushing the limits here. I'm surprised, you know, I'm, you know, are you brushing your teeth then while driving? I mean, that would seem to be, you know, you know, as long as you have a a, 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 a clean and sanitary and sanitary spit cup, I think that would make a little more sense than potential more sense than shaving. Because shaving, you got a you know, even on an electric, you're dealing with a razor, you're dealing with a straight edge. That if you're not giving it your full attention, that's not going to end well either with a cut or like a weird like soul like unfortunate Ben Affleck in the '90s soul patch. Um, I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. I, I, I I don't know. I'm, I I guess part of my 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 trouble with this is I have such a long commute that I'm I'm pretty much settled in for the long drives. So I don't have the rushing to work, trying to get there in five minutes, trying to get stuff done situation that I think a lot of the, that a lot of this would be engendered by. Yeah, I I was trying to think about the extent of of uh, distraction. Uh, what's the most you could do and reasonably? like still drive. Yeah. Um, I guess I think the, what I'd like to see is if you had like a miniature piano in the, in the passenger seat. Okay. Yeah. And, we're pl- and you could play while driving or, uh, or an, uh, an electric drum kit. That you can or an electric drum loops. kit. Yeah. Now my it's wife not, just asked, well, she, I think my wife is like, she's getting mad at me cause we're not sticking to the spirit of the question, which is like, what could you reasonably do that you have to do while driving rather than just doing to try to maintain uh, a busy... Oh, she doesn't like how we've turned this into a sport. Um, right, Which, right. you know, challenge accepted, because I'm thinking xylophone would be good. I'm thinking you could conceivably feed a... If you have a small enough car and long enough arms, you could conceivably feed a kid in the back seat if you have the... the, the, the if you have, like, the... Uh, the car seat behind the now passenger. That's, you, that's you, dangerous right well, there. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I'm saying, what, I'm not saying this is smart or something you should do. I'm saying it's, what could we conceivably do? Um, do not feed your kid while driving. Let's get, okay. Let's, the, the, the flip side does not condone feeding kids in a, while driving in a moving car. Um, Why do you always lead us down the path where we have to do disclaimers, Brian? <laughs> It's what I bring to the table. Um, so, um, uh, shaving, brushing. I, I mean, let's let's go through let's go through the normal grooming things. Can you brush your teeth effectively? Um, I yeah, no. I let's see. You would have to be at a stoplight or stop to get the toothpaste and toothbrush wet. But once you start going, all you need is a spit cup. Right. 
So yeah, or, or or an open window, or an open window. Although that's yeah. Um, so mouthwash, same thing. So so you could mouthwash, you could brush your teeth, mouthwash, comb your could hair. You bru- yeah, comb your hair, brush Easy. your hair. Um, um, let's see. Flossing. Oh, I think that might. Yeah, that might. That's the, no, because can you do a one? Oh yeah, yes, because you can have the little like one hand like floss and go thingies that they have. Oh no, they, or you could no, or you could drive with your knee. I do it all the time. You could drive with your knee and floss. Um, oh, here here's where I think we have the limit, and we found it. Putting in contact lenses. Putting in contact lenses. That's a good one. Yeah. Hmm. Let me think. Because there's, there's always the danger you're going to accidentally blind yourself in that right. process, or you're not able to see well enough to drive when you start driving, which means you're already pr- behind the proverbial eight ball. Right. Um, or tying your shoes, probably not. No. I've uh, I've tied my shoes while driving before. Okay. Of course, you drive with your knees. Yeah. Um. My favorite was always. So this this will sound weird. Back when the days when I smoked. Okay. Um. Uh, so when you know you smoking and driving is actually can be complicated because I would always leave the window open. Right. And, you know, most of the time, you know, you finish the cigarette and, you know, you flick it out the window. Right. Um, so I've had a couple of times where I've, I've been driving and I'll finish the cigarette and I'll flick it out the window and the wind will blow it back in the car. <laughs> and at one point, uh, it blew it back into the back seat into a bag full of papers oh no <laughs> and, I happen to be here. <laughs> and within 30 seconds there's smoke billowing out of the car and i had to like emergency stop the car and go back there and get the bag of papers and take them out and like stamp out the one and then i had to leave the bag of papers on the side of the road because you never know there might be smoldering embers in there somewhere uh, right that, and that that's just an awkward explanation when you get there all around. So why were you late to class, Professor Clavio? Well, right. where 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 are our term papers? Well, funny story. So actually, I've had bad luck with windows. Though I'm actually glad I don't smoke anymore because I used to always I'd have the window open all the time for that. I remember one time I was driving down the road and uh, I was on the interstate and a semi went past me on the left, and all of a sudden, I, I it was like it was like I got hit in the side of the head with a rock. And sure enough, I got hit in the side of the head with a rock. Oh, Jesus. Uh, like a, uh, the semi kicked up a rock off the interstate and it flew through the window and hit me in the temple. Oh. And like I was momentarily stunned. And uh, there, luckily there was somebody else in the car with me and then like grabbed the steering wheel. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm good. But um, yeah. Uh, I, I guess maybe smoking is the most dangerous multitasking thing that you can do. On a lot of levels, yeah. So so, to, so and, and to helping people do not smoke while driving or do any of the other things that we talked about while driving. They're right. all not good. All not good. So, all right. We have, uh, we have, we, we've helped, we've helped the, the people for today, I think. We did our job. Yes. So, as always, check us out on Twitter. Uh, suggest, send us topics. We can't help. Let us help you. With, with and don't don't wait for us to ask. Yes, anything you anything you need throughout the week, any questions you have and and come up with, please let us know. And uh, yeah. next week, I'm looking forward for a full IX uh, IX uh, and Phoenix review. Looking forward to that. We'll gladly supply it, and uh, hopefully, we'll have lots of fun things to talk about. So, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, for Brian, I'm Galen. We will catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody.